Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. I have a disclaimer. Um, today's episode is going to be split into two parts. It is a full hour or we'll come out to probably being somewhere close to that. Um, Call it the Eileen hour, if you will. My first interview will take place with Thomas and Mackenzie, who is the star of Eileen. And the second half will be done with director William Oldroyd and authors and scriptwriters Otessa Moshveg and Luke Goebel. And, you know, I hope you can cut me some slack because sometimes... Even though people are involved in the same film, they can't all record podcasts together. So I wanted to do everything in one fell swoop, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am Valerie Complex, your host, associate editor, and film writer at Deadline.com. Today, I talked to actress Thomas and Mackenzie about her latest film, Eileen, which is adapted from the novel of the same name written by Otessa Moshvig. Now, alongside Mackenzie, the film stars Anne Hathaway, Shea Wiggum, Marin Ireland, and Siobhan Fallon Hogan. Eileen is set during the bitter 1964 Massachusetts winter. A young secretary, Eileen, becomes enchanted by the glamorous new counselor, Rebecca, at the prison where she works. Their budding friendship takes a twisted turn when a dark secret is revealed, throwing Eileen onto a sinister path. Thomasin McKenzie is a New Zealand actress who has emerged as one of the most talented young performers in recent years. After a minor role in The Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies in 2014. Her breakout role came in Deborah Granick's drama, Leave No Trace, opposite Ben Foster. Now this role won her the National Board of Review Award for Breakthrough Performance. Other noteworthy credits include starring in the 2021 indie drama, I'm Not Here, and the 2022 noir horror film, Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright. She had a role in Jane Campion's Power of the Dog, opposite Benedict Cumberbatch, and is now working with Anne Hathaway and Eileen. Still in her mid-20s, Mackenzie has proven herself as a talented dramatic actress capable of connecting with audiences through complex and challenging roles. With her career still on the rise, she remains one of the most promising young actors working today. On this episode, I talked with Thomason about how she maintained character in the middle of the extremely cold New England winter. I asked her about forming a connection with Anne Hathaway on set. And I got some of her recommendations and some of her favorite films from New Zealand. If you like what you hear on today's episode, be sure to review like and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast, which is available on Apple, Spotify, and iHeart. With that said, let's get into it. Who's your day, Dad? 
It was a day, just another day. My day was a doozy. It's one of those days you never forget. Hello. Hey, how are you? I am good. How are you? Um, good morning. Uh, from New York. Um, I know it's like the afternoon where you're at, so it's all good. Um, thank you for coming on the Scene to Scene podcast. I, I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of your work and a big fan of the work that you're doing in Eileen. And I can't wait to to talk about it. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh no problem. Where do I begin? Uh, I have you have you read the book? I had read the book. Yeah. Um. By the way, if I'm sniffly or a bit um, croaky, I'm, I'm sick. So that's it's okay. Why. I'm croaky too. It's all right. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I had read the book. Um, I'd read Eileen. I read. I read Eileen uh, after reading the script of Eileen, and also after um, I read my year of rest and relaxation as well. Latessa's other book. Um, so I was very aware of her work and was already a fan. Um, and this whole experience has added to that, of course. The the book is really fun, and but the film makes some really interesting changes that I really liked. Um, did that have a like a an influence on on your performance and how you saw the character and the story based on some of the changes that were made? I'm actually curious what you thought about those changes. Um. Yeah, there were a couple changes. Um, there was a whole sequence in the book where... Spoilers, by the way, folks, if you haven't read the book. Right. <laughs> There's a sequence where Eileen goes to church with her dad, Jim, who's played by Shay Wigan, and she takes laxatives while at the church um, and so for, like, quite a while she's on the toilet. Um, and that wasn't included in the film, thank goodness, because that would not have been very fun to play, I don't think. Um, but that was kind of as a, as a way of, like, punishing herself or purging herself. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, the, you know, I was so lucky to have the book because it really gave me an incredible insight into Eileen and all of those bits of information or scenes or sequences, although they weren't included in the film, they really informed the character. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm happy we didn't include the laxative story. Right. <laughs> but it's really cool that you got to read the book because you got to see some of the secrets that, you know, would help sort of add to, you know, the sort of world building of the character. And when you when you saw the script, um you know, in your lap and just reading it, what were some of the initial thoughts that came to mind when you saw it? Um, the movie is quite crazy and quite transgressive. So I imagine reading that would be like, oh, wow, these these people are crazy, everybody in this in this in the script. Um, I just felt really sorry, sad for Eileen reading the script and then reading the book because she wasn't having a very good time at life. And it was one of those scripts, which I think come around quite rarely. I really struggle saying that word. Around quite rarely, um, where you just really you kind of sucked in and you and you feel for the character. You almost feel for each and every character, even though not all characters are particularly nice. 
but you can just see that they're all in a pretty dire environment, dire situation, and each one of them needs saving, really. And that's not to excuse any of the behaviours at all. It's just like, you know, you can see why things may have happened. And I was curious to explore that, um, particularly to explore Eileen's reality because she, um, I really felt for her. And can you talk about working with William Olroyd? His work is really interesting. And that his last film, did you see his last film, Lady Macbeth? Yeah, I did. I did see it and I was a, a, a big fan of it. It's, it's been funny going on the press junket with Will because everyone's like, he really likes making films about women. <laughs> I mean, that that shouldn't be like a phenomenon. <laughs> a lot of media treats like these types of directors and films like a, like something that's rare and it's like it's something that should be normal. I think the difference about William O'Royd's work so far is that he he films women with a transgressive lens, which is, you know, somewhat unique and that these women um, get to have, you know, they're not the best women, but they have, they get to have some reprieve. There's agency there. Um, these are two you know, they're two women who are sort of similar in that they're isolated, um, they're violent. And I think I think when we get more nuanced with the conversation, that's 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 it. And so um, what, what was it like working with him and sort of collaborating uh, to bring about the best in this character and this world that he created? I really loved working with Will. I really, really did, because he's such a joyful person. And on the surface level, Eileen is in a very funny story, mm -hmm. but with Will directing it, he was able to find the humor that otherwise might not have been there. I didn't realize when we were filming it, I didn't realize how funny the film actually is. Yeah, like, the film is great. Yeah. Yeah. When we saw it, when I saw it at the at Sundance when it was premiering, there was so much laughter in the audience, and I was kind of like, "What is going on?" <laughs> I didn't. I like. I did not expect that, and I was. I I realized far out. This is actually really funny, and I think that's what Will brought to it because he himself is a very funny guy, mm -hmm. um, and I think it needed that humor because it could have been too dark. Otherwise, it's already pretty dark. Right. If it didn't have some laughter in it, it might have been a bit, you know maybe got got a bit too far into the darkness so I thought it was like a great balance of levity and misery the kind of stuff that I like to sort of see in 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 films of of this nature and what was it like sort of working um alongside Anne Hathaway and I know you probably get this question a lot but there mm -hmm. is there's a sort of chemistry that these two characters have to create in order for this to work um, and I'm wondering, you know, what was sort of the method to the madness of of connecting with uh, the character Rebecca and thus connecting with Anne on screen? What was the method to the madness? I don't think we we didn't have any method, really. Uh, I showed up to the first day of rehearsals in New Jersey and uh, Anne was there 
and uh, we just started talking through the script and I've always been a massive fan of Anne's ever since I saw The Princess Diaries for the first time. I just love those two films. Um, so Thomason's reaction to meeting Anne was, oh, my God, this is insane, like starstruck. And uh, that is the same reaction Eileen has to meeting Rebecca um, like, who is this incredible glowing human being um, and how is it that I'm in her presence, you know? So I kind of, I was able to use that natural chemistry, I suppose, in the film. Um, and she's loved, like so lovely to work with. I remember on a, our first time meeting on the first day of rehearsal, I just like mentioned in passing that I love blue bottle coffee from blue bottle in New York I don't like I'm from New Zealand there's definitely not any blue bottle in New Zealand I think it's like a New York LA thing I don't know anyway I love blue bottle I mentioned it in passing and she the next day had a blue bottle coffee for me like like that which were just so so thoughtful and sweet um that I you know I really appreciated um and those kind of things like yeah just help help forming a, the connection that's needed to work together. Now, I know this is going to be a weird question, but what is it like to perform in the cold? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I always sit and wonder because, you know, New Jersey, when you start getting into New Jersey, you start going, you know, up to Massachusetts and Pennsylvania and all that, it gets even colder and even colder. And I wonder, I'm like, how do people maintain their, how do people maintain their center their core when it's like 20 degrees outside like you know and you know costumes and things of that nature so can you talk about that yeah that was tough I mean I'm I'm not like because we filmed we filmed Eileen over Christmas so we started filming in like beginning of December and then had a two-week break for the Christmas holiday and then resumed filming in January so I was in New Jersey for my first ever white Christmas I'd never because in New Zealand it's summer over Christmas time so like barbecues and we're at the beach and everything and having Christmas in New Jersey is a whole other experience so I just want to say that because that was very exciting for me um (laughs) but yeah so it was snowing outside and if it wasn't snowing they had fake snow it was very very cold and um you yeah you just have to be really prepared with the thermals and and um big coats and gloves and all of that kind of thing but it's tough it is tough like on one of my first days we were filming at the Dunlop house and Eileen like fell out of her car and was rolling around in the snow with vomit in her hair and uh, wearing heels and stockings and uh, above the knee dress and like very little, not very warm faux fur jacket. Um, and that was not the most comfortable experience of my life. Right. Let's just say that. <laughs> I can imagine. And, and, and 
creating the accent for the character, it's funny because at Sundance, I saw the film at Sundance and I, I saw the Q&A with you guys. And when you started to speak, there was like an audible gasp in my section because I don't think people expected an accent. And I was like, she's from New Zealand. I, I knew that you were from New Zealand, but I think a lot of people just didn't expect it. So was it difficult to sort of, you know, garner up that accent for the character? I presume not because, you know, you've done accents before and it seems like just another accent to master. No, it was it was a really hard accent, actually. Um, but I really loved doing it because it made me feel quite gangster. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Something is like um, Mark Wahlberg has the same accent. So like something about trying to imitate Mark Wahlberg's accent and like dropping the R's. Um, and also because it has a, like Irish influence. Um it was just like a really, really fun accent to do, but I was nervous about getting it right because I, I know that people with the Massachusetts accent are quite like, um, you know, they want you to do a good job at it, which I expect. Like if someone were, someone were to do a, a New Zealand accent and they did a crappy job, I'd be like, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd, I'd be pissed. <laughs> so I just wanted to do a good job. Right. When I hear New York accents, I'm kind of like, you know, I kind of wince a little bit because if they're bad, they're, they're very bad. Um, they could be very, very bad. And um, like, you know, like listening to them is like nails on a chalkboard. But it can ruin an entire film. If an act isn't right, it can yeah. really mess things up. I've, I've seen that before and I don't want to be that. <laughs> yeah, you you know, it'll take you out the whole entire experience. So it, it all worked out very perfectly. You did a fantastic job. Uh, I, I loved what you brought to the character and um, bringing it to life. It wasn't an easy job because that book is, it's while Eileen is fun, um, it's very complex. Um, and I loved it. So I just want to give you your kudos, give you oh, your props. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, what I what I wanted to ask next is how does someone as 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 young and as talented as you are, how do you continue to show up as your authentic self in this industry? I imagine it can be difficult to do sometimes because um, there's a lot of talking and a lot of people and everything like that. But how do you stay grounded? That's a good question. I think like I've been in this industry for my entire life. Um, like I did my first film when I was six and my I'm a third generation actor in my family. Um, every single one of my immediate family members has done acting or is still doing is still in the industry. Um, so I think I was like I, I, my parents protected me really well when I was younger because they know how the industry works. and. Uh, I think coming from New Zealand really helped um, me to like stay true to myself and stay grounded um, because it's so far away. So you, it's hard to get kind of like lost in the chaos of everything. I, uh, even though I'm an actor, this might sound funny, but like I don't have the ability to not be true to myself because like if I'm feeling something, you'll, you're likely to see it on my face um so I'm kind of cursed like I can't lie I just I have to um yeah I, I just am myself and, and I can't help that so I think that's why <laughs> that's and that's really like 
really great to hear because, you know, it's this is an industry where you can really get caught up in in some of the things and really sort of get lost in that. And it's good to have. Yeah, also, I'll just cringe it myself. I'd cringe it <laughs> I got caught up in it and like, oh, Thompson, you know, chill out. <laughs> but it's good to also like be aware too, because yeah, it can also take away some of that awareness, right? To mm-hmm. where you're like, damn, I didn't, I didn't notice that until somebody, you know, points it out. So you, you know, you have a great support system around you and you're aware. You're already ahead of the game. So, you know, you're already winning. So I say <laughs> that to you as well. And um, so this is going to sound, this is now the next round of questions. This is ridiculous, but I have to ask because you're from New Zealand. Did you watch Xena growing up? Oh, I know you didn't. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's it's okay if you didn't. I was curious. I know um, one of my first exposures to, um, as a kid, to, you know, different countries and, and, and cultures and learning about New Zealand specifically was watching that show. And so, um, you know, every time I, not every time I meet someone from New Zealand, I ask them about Xena, but I'm always curious about, the type of influence, not just of the show, but cinema in general and New Zealand and how that thrives in a in a country that is so far away um, from here, from New York, of course, and it's and it's so isolated. So can you talk about how um, I know you said your family, you know, was involved in film, but just some of your favorites. What was what were some of the influences growing up that may have come out of New Zealand or out of Hollywood? Um, well, a big influence on me is and has always been Jane Campion because she is a New Zealander. She is not Australian. She's a New Zealander. Just putting that out there. Um, and <laughs> New Zealand is such a small place. My dad and mum are actually really good friends with her. Um, and so I would like growing up, I would see Jane and she was just like this, such a strong like inspirational figure in my life that I always looked up to um, and kind of I think she really empowered me to acknowledge my own strength as a woman so she was definitely a massive influence on me and also just like New Zealanders have a lot of pride for the film industry over there like when it comes to the Lord of the Rings or Xena um, like or with a workshop, you know, which is the animation um, uh, workshop um, company. Like New Zealanders feel a lot of pride for that. So um, I think growing up in that environment and feeling so much pride for New Zealand's landscape and the fact that it's sought sought after, um, I think that will, yeah, definitely had a big effect on me. And just like, the, you know, the um, pride I have for my family as well. I'm like, really 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 proud of my mum and my grandma um and my dad who are all incredible creatives um it all all kind of came together mm-hmm. and like the the piano was like one of the things that you know also helped put New Zealand on the map because you know Anna Paquin won that Oscar and she's a lot of people forget that she's also from there I believe and and I Mum was a part of the casting of that. Like, this is how small the industry in New Zealand is. Like, I every single actor of a certain generation in New Zealand babysat me. I'm wow. not kidding. <laughs> I am not kidding. <laughs> so, were you babysat by Russell Crowe? I believe he's from there too. 
Yeah, he is. He is. I think he is more identifies himself more with Australia, though. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I've come to like learn the difference now. Um, you know, instead of just calling everybody, because you know, people have the habit of calling everyone from down there Australians. Like, no, these are yeah. two different countries with two different passports. We have yeah. to get it together. Right? Yeah. You can't just call everybody down there. Yeah. Uh, figure it out. Look yeah, at I was gonna say you gotta figure it out. And you know, it's <laughs> New Zealand is like my top five on the map. Hopefully one day I get to go and experience. Uh, mm-hmm. the beauty of the country and uh, the beautiful people. I have friends that have gone there who absolutely yeah. love it. And it is a stunning place. If you have any, do you have any recommendations for films from New Zealand that people should check out? Um, it could be filmed by Jane Campion. It could be films by by anyone. I, I remember seeing Once We Were Warriors and and seeing a bunch of different cinema from down there. So do you have any recommendations? If I have any recommendations, I would obviously say all of Taika Waititi's films, like Boy, Hunt for the Wilder People, What We Do in the Shadows. Um, He made a a lot of really fantastic films in New Zealand um, that that kind of like catapulted him onto a wider international audience. Um, I'll say my mum and dad directed a film called The Changeover, which was starring um, Timothy Spall, Lucy Lawless was in it, as was Melanie Linksky. Um, so I would recommend that, The Changeover. Oh, gosh, I'm going to blank now. And there's a film I did called uh, The Justice of Bunny King, mm-hmm. starring Essie Davis, and that was directed by Gay Sorn for that, and that's a New Zealand film. I'd recommend that. <laughs> awesome. Like, thank you so much for, for coming on the Scene to Scene podcast. This was a really fun conversation. And it was really good to hear about some of some of the New, New Zealand cinema that I can uh, check out. Um, so thank you so much. And congratulations on Eileen. And uh, you're one of my favorite young actresses in Hollywood. And all the best to you. Thank you, Valerie. And, and let me just say, you've got a very cool name. Complex. Thank you. Um, my uh, my real name is so boring. It has no has no fire, has no flame. So I was like, I I need to come up with a pen name that would be memorable. So thank you. That's oh, good to hear. Ellery Complex really does. It's like, oh, who is she? <laughs> She's complex. It's, it's it's it's. I try to be. I try to be mysterious as possible. As mysterious yeah. as possible. It's working. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to part two of the Eileen Hour, where I chat with author, writer, Otessa Moshvig, Eileen's director, William Oldroyd, and Luke Goebel, author and also screenwriter. Uh, before we get into the conversation, I want to give a, big, a bit of background on each guest. Otessa is a fictional writer and screenwriter from New England. Eileen, 
her first novel, was shortlisted for the National Book Critics Circle Award. And she's also the author of the famed, celebrated book, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Luke is an author and a screenwriter also, and living in Los Angeles. His first book, 14 Stories, None of Them Are Yours, won the Ronald Sukunik American Book Review Innovative Fiction Prize. He is also the co-writer of the film Causeway from 2022. William O'Roy is known for directing the critically acclaimed TIFF 2016 breakout film Lady Macbeth, which starred Florence Pugh. After premiering in Toronto, the film went on to garner rave reviews at the London Film Festival, and it won the International Film Critics Award, or the Fapresi Award, at the San Sebastian Film Festival. And it earned him a DGA nomination, and now he's working on another film, Eileen. In part two, I talked to the group about the process of bringing a book to screen. We also talk about the power of transgressive fiction, and we talk about the collaborative process between director and writer. With that said, let's get into it. And remember to review, like, and subscribe. If you like Apple, Spotify, or iHeart, any one of those will do. Thank you guys for being on. I know we've been sort of bouncing back and forth with time, and I appreciate you all, you know, spending time to to chat with me. Thank you, and welcome to the to the Scene to Scene podcast. I, you know, I've seen um, Eileen several times, um, and I actually finished reading the book uh, yesterday. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Can we talk a little bit about? Um, transgressive fiction for a minute i'm really loving the the indie era of transgressions transgressive fiction and women and how those things sort of intersect um how is do you think that there's an, a genre of that that exists and how would you think about that type of fiction and that type of storytelling i think it's the best storytelling. Um, I mean, I think the whole purpose of art is to transgress what we already know and see and imagine so that we can go to new places. And, you know, I think that there's, you know, there's an edge to the word transgressive because it sort of assumes that um, the status quo is limited, right? So in Eileen, what's transgressive is that there's, I mean, you know, for example, there's a protagonist who's female, um, who is also neurotic. That somehow was a transgressive feature of the book when it came out in 2015 or 16. Um, and I think that that's just, I I think that's why the book was exciting to some people because they hadn't watched a character who is vulnerable like that, talk about herself with the kind of freedom and self-consciousness, um, and, sometimes pretension that 
we expect a young woman to have in her self-presentation. The idea that it's transgressive to have like a female character who sweats and shits is astonishing, you know? Um, but that was the case. The transgression of um, some deeper aspects of the of the story are, you know, more upsetting to me. And it's mm -hmm. it was amazing when the book came out how little uh, the conversation um, was about the character of Lee Polk and his story and um, Mrs. Polk and Mr. Polk. Uh, the prison system, you know, psychology, like all of those things, those were kind of like brushed to the side because it was so novel to have a quote unquote unlikable female character. So it's weird. It is. <laughs> it's, it's extremely strange to, um, to think about a woman who is like, you know, as you say, is neurotic. She shits, and 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 it's this is a part of the the female makeup in the world, in the real world too. So when people read it in fiction, they're shocked. But it's like this is something that exists outside of that. Um, and you know, I think you mentioning about you know the Polk family and this larger sort of uh, prison industri industrial complex. Uh, exist in this type of transgressive world. And I think people can often move that to the side because that's something that they're used to accepting, but not the woman, you know, if that makes any sense. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I find it yeah. that you said that because I didn't know that the major focus was on this, this lady instead of, um, who Eileen is and the world that she actually exists in. Um, so yeah. when it came to you and, and Luke taking elements from the story and transferring them into cinema, how did you work with, um, with William to make sure you captured the, the sort of themes and elements of your story, um, but having to sort of kill some of your darlings, so to speak? Um, well, I'm, I'd love to let Luke speak to this, but what I can say is that we, um, when we all sat down to talk about the movie we all wanted to make, we were in agreement about the major elements that drew us to the project of adaptation. And that was that it's a movie that's using genre while pushing genre. Um, and that we'd never seen a dynamic like this on screen before of Eileen, Rebecca, and then the third character um, of Mrs. Polk. And that we, we wanted to boil the story down to its essential components. Um, and we worked really, really closely with Will to do that. Luke, do you want to chime in? Yeah. Um, I mean, boiling it down is a good way to put it. We were being, you know, we were being serious. There's a lot of fun and there's a lot of playfulness and there's a lot of humor in the um, 
you know, approach that we took to the film and we're always kind of having as much fun as we can and making the movie that we'd want to watch. But in essence, it's a very serious film. Um, and some of that subversion is taking these elements of film that we recognize and not feeling beholden to, you know, candy it up. Like it's using noir and it's using, mm-hmm. you know, these elements, but it's, it's doing it in a way that isn't, like serving popcorn to the audience. It's using them to then subvert it. And, you know, we've never seen a relationship like this between two women at that time with a contemporary lens applied. Um, And we've never seen this kind of serious subject matter. I've never seen a film that goes where this film goes, you know, but it's unexpected because we're, you know, it's dressed in the costume of noir. It's doing this period, it's doing this genre. But it's, you know, it's dead serious. So I didn't feel like we were killing darlings in the sense that like, oh, well, what if we just had a shit scene or what if we just had this scene? It wasn't it wasn't frivolous like that. It was there was, a you know, a, a you know, not to be too pretentious, but there was a deep sophistication and like care that we were bringing as a trio to the subject matter and to what is transgressive about this film. Um, William, you have a. Like I saw Lady Macbeth and that was also a film that shocked a lot of people except me Um, (laughs) because I I remember being at the screening of Lady Macbeth and the film was over and I was chuckling and these women were horrified that I was (laughs) laughing because I was like, well, what's so shocking about this ending, you know? Um, I'm like, she's the evil broad, like, you know, and, and, in a good way. And when I mean in a good way, I, I mean, it was done unapolo- unapologetically. And you really captured that essence. I mean, like, it's no shade to any other directors who who direct women in these types of stories, but you've really managed to capture a gaze that is um, truthful and believable. Um, when I look at the women that you direct, I believe that it's coming from a real place. Can you talk about that? Yes, I mean, um, Florence, who played Catherine Thomason, who played um, Eileen, I've been very lucky to work with these uh, very open, honest actors, actors who are emotionally available, if you like, and are unafraid. I think that's one of the most important things, that they are unafraid to... Um, well, it's a, well, I was going to say unafraid to play these these characters, but these characters on the page are what attracted them to the project in the first place. Warts and all, you know, like it's totally these these complex characters that they love. What a great challenge it is, and how few of them there are, which is why they jump at the chance to play them. And with with Catherine at the end of Lady Macbeth, I mean, I think the thing which was satisfying for me is that it, the, the story was completed in the sense that she got what she wanted, which mm-hmm. was. She got everybody out of the house mm-hmm. um, by various means, and um, then really was left on her own. And um, you know that that's also the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Actually, that that is, is her fate. Um, and similarly with Eileen, I think what we wanted was um, that it's a new beginning. The end is a new beginning. So when she leaves, she leaves for. Um, a new life, and you and you you get a much clearer sense of that in the book, obviously, because the story is narrated from her older self. So you hear absolutely what she feels about Rebecca, what happened to her in the preceding years, and so on. We didn't have that with the film, 
And I like the fact that it's sort of open-ended. Um, and one, one other thing I just wanted to say is that I think it's very important that in no sense did admit two things. One, what to really um, give credit to the collaborators. Um, Ari Wagner, the cinematographer, was the cinematographer on both Beth and Eileen. And when you talk about gaze, I can't think about these films without thinking about how she lensed each film, how she, how she understood character. And one of the most important things was in each case, she was in the rehearsal room understanding the character. So she knew where to put the, the camera when trying to capture the thoughts in the life of, of each character. Uh, and, um, and also Alice Birch, who wrote Lady Macbeth, and Otessa and Luke, who wrote Eileen, obviously. And then you know, having um, female producers, um, casting directors, and, and you know, so many women on set. I mean, that's, I think, is the way in which you, as a male director, learn about how to, how to um, bring these characters to life. The last thing I was going to say is I didn't, in, in both situations, want to punish these women. I think that's very important that you see a lot of women being punished on screen. And, and with Lady Macbeth and Eileen, neither of them are punished. Uh, and I think that's very refreshing. Thank you for that. Um, how, does, how does a project like this, uh, especially an adaptation, um, come together logistically? Maybe, Otessa, you can talk about um, how things happen in the beginning. Now you have the book, and then you have to discover what elements um, of that story will be adapted and what that looks like on paper and then the production of it all. Can you talk a little bit about that process and how that works? Process really began with the three of us all on Zoom in the middle of COVID lockdown, talking about how the movie um, translated to us cinematically, just in our imaginations. And you know, the the first reference, I think, was to Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. um, I had been having Hitchcock in mind for sure when I was writing the novel, in particular, another adaptation, which was Hitchcock's adaptation of the uh, Du Maurier novel, Rebecca, which mm -hmm. is where I got Rebecca's name. And we were interested in this haunting suspenseful, um, you know, mysterious and self-aware portrait of uh, a time, a place, and a situation. And I think, you know, we talked about style, we talked about what, what it could feel like. Um, and then we really broke down the story just beat by beat. And that was extremely helpful and felt a little bit miraculous. I mean, it was like we just sat down with Will and it was as though he, the, the movie played out as he was talking. We could all see it very, very clearly. There was something really essential about Will's vision that made our job easy. Luke and I just went away and, and, and wrote a draft of the script and immediately shared it with Will. And as the author of the book, you know, like I had certain things memorized, certain rooms, scenes, certain, you know, feelings of each character. And um, I had to unlearn a little bit of my own work in order to expand it well into 
screenplay. And that's why working with Luke was so fascinating because he's on the outside and I had written Mm. the novel on the inside of Eileen, literally in Eileen's voice. So I had to get on the outside with Luke and say, what does it look like? Mm. So we just, you know, beat the page to death every day for a while. And, and then we were working really closely with, with Will on the, on the draft. Um, and it was really just the three of us. And then we found um, our producing partners, likely Story, and uh, got financing from Fifth Season and, you know, started bringing people in to the project. But I think what was really cool was that we were doing it all sort of in secret. And I think I was really naive. I was just like, oh, this is just going to be amazing. Who wouldn't want to make this movie? <laughs> You know, um, right. but the cool thing was that everyone who wanted to make the movie wanted to make that movie, not mm-hmm. some other idea of an adaptation of Eileen, which is kind of the way things usually start. You mm-hmm. know, so yeah, I I feel like we were just so fortunate to find each other at the right time, and, and it was so fortunate to work with a director with Will who was so collaborative. I mean, from casting, it was. We were all working together in lockstep. We were watching, you know, the uh, auditions that were coming through, the audition tapes. We were talking. Obviously, we got our top choices. It was incredible, you know, fortune to have such amazing actors on this project. But even things I like to tell us, like one anecdote, which is that working with Richard Reed Perry, who is incredible for the score, um, Otessa had, Will had asked Otessa, you know, what do you imagine this sounds like? And Otessa was like, I think Eileen is an oboe. Otessa's parents are both classically trained musicians. And um, Eileen's an oboe and Rebecca's a clarinet. Mm-hmm. And that really became the map for the whole score. And that kind of openness and collaboration from a director is like nearly, un, you know, it's impossible to imagine someone being that open and collaborative and like being able to bring the strengths, you know, of everyone involved to the forefront of the project. So that kind of, you know, really is like an example of the whole film, you know, at every step, uh, Will was able to have total control of the project and also bring out what's best from everyone involved. Actually, I wanted to ask you about um, what it means to collaborate in the writing process, especially when, you know, you're taking sort of a, a, 30,000 foot view of, of the project um, and, and bringing in your own input. What does that look like for you? Um, well, I mean, I've received scripts where I haven't been part of the writing process, haven't been there from the beginning, and I always feel I'm a few steps behind somehow. Um, with back and with Eileen, what I loved was I was there from the beginning, so I knew why each decision had been made. And that for me is a very important part of the process, because I'm going to have to defend those decisions further down the line, you know, when compromises are made, when budgets come together, things are cut and so on. I need to know why such such thing is so important. Um, so I love it. And I really, really enjoy um, being there to assist as best I can. You know, essentially, we know that the script has to do so many different things. It has to get the actors on board. It has to get the finance. It has to get everybody excited about making the thing. Um, it also has to provide a sort of map for how to make it. Um, and I love seeing all that come together. And, you know, I can, if I can lend any 
my skills to that process in terms of understanding a little bit about image. Also, you know, I've benefited from having sat through some edits before. Mm -hmm. I know what it's going to be like when we go into the last part of the process. So we know I know what could get cut and what will likely happen. It's useful actually sometimes to share the script in an early draft with the editor so that he can then sort of suggest, well, you know, you're never going to cut from that to that. So you might as well lose that and just jump in straight there and so on. So that's quite helpful. But um, no, I love I love that early process. It's very, very important. You know. And Luke, um, I'm being nosy for a little bit, but I'm curious if you could let us in on the the writing and ideas process that happened between you and Altessa and, and how, you know, and what you think the key is to uh, a balanced partnership. I don't want to say harmonious because it isn't always. Um, I also have a writing partner and we argue all the time. Um, it's not always a, a smooth journey. Um, but it is a, it could be it is a satisfying one, and so I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. Well, I think being balanced on this project meant, you know, in some ways having a little bit of understanding that this was, you know, a lot of understanding this was Otessa's novel. So, you know, there was a certain amount of balancing just knowing that I was on, you know, working with her on on a project that originated from her imagination. But part of that balance was also not being too far in that in that side of the beam of thinking that, you know, I couldn't bring my best thinking to the table. And so I think, like you said, it's it's not exactly harmonious. I think I think that having it be a really intense work environment is actually beneficial. And I'm so lucky that I got to be a part of this project, work with her on her story adapting it to film and also that we were in a safe relationship where it could take the strains of like a really rigorous and intense writing process so we were doing like oftentimes 12 hour days and no days off and we were locked in this little you know house cabin uh, against the ocean in Oregon and we were just working so to be able to to bring our hearts and, you know, our minds in that kind of intensity and have conflict and have it be a super intense work environment, I think is just like, I don't know what your situation is, whether your writing partner is someone that you're romantically involved with or not. But I think having that romance, you're bringing things from your relationship, you're bringing things from the deepest part of your private life. And you're also bringing all the fun and, you know, um, kind of exciting energy that you have in the relationship into every dynamic, into every character's interaction. And that's such a thrill. And the fact that you're kind of letting it roll your whole relationship in those super intense moments where everything's on the line is like something you can't, you can't make up, you know, it's like you're bringing life to life. Um, I am really curious, Otessa, about your imagination and creative process. I have read Lapfona and I have read, because um, I read Lapfona earlier in the year, and uh, I read uh, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. These are very, uh, and then there's Eileen. And so these are ideas who are, that are all over the spectrum, um, but have a, a tone and that is, you know, wholly yours. And when you come up with these ideas, like what place does it come from in your mind where you're like, okay, so I'm going to write about this medieval village 
and and shit's going to go down and it's going to be really crazy. And then I'm going to write about this supermodel who's burnt out. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where does it come from? I mean, I think I I have a very faithful process in in how I relate to my work. And that is that I believe that it already exists and mm-hmm. that it is finished and that there is a future in which this I can hold it. This is the book. Mm-hmm. And it is my job to get this blank word document there. Mm-hmm. It's not my job to be smart. It's not my job to be um better than I am. I have to be faithful and I have to be um willing to surprise myself and be unhappy. So I just sort of try to locate the place in my brain that's talking to me. Um, And I see it as sort of like a foreign body. Mm -hmm. Like there's like, I'm there, there's something in, in there. It wants to be heard. And um, my job is to, do it as accurately as possible. Almost like, you know, when people talk about uh, like ghosts in haunted houses, they just want to be seen, you know, mm-hmm. and then they'll leave you alone. Right. They want to be acknowledged. It's all, it almost is that kind of relationship. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get you right. Um, and so I sort of stay out of the self-analysis. Mm. At the same time, when I'm working on anything, like my life and the book become the strange mirror, tangled mirror mm-hmm. of, of each other. And, you know, sometimes it, it, it can be very eerie and psychic. And other times it can be really heartbreaking and sad about my past where I'm not, I didn't realize I was, you know, going to use this piece of my heart to write this character in this moment, or I didn't realize how much this meant to me in this one way or whatever. Um, But yeah, it feels, um, and then I I really appreciate that you say that everything feels like me because sometimes I forget myself in all of it. but I think, yeah, there are certain things that you can't undo about your tendencies. But I try, I try to work against them. Like I'm really trying to write a book that isn't about going to the bathroom, for example. <laughs> like, right. Doesn't need. I don't need to do that. Anymore. Right. Um, thank you for sharing that, uh, William. One of my last questions is like, what it was? What was it like to bring? Thomas and Mackenzie and Anne Hathaway um, into the fold. They're so comfortable and so fluid on screen in this script. Like you can tell they believe in the story and they believe in what they're doing. Um, How do you get your actresses to that point, creating this um, sort of uh, circle of safety and safe space to where they can sort of be themselves and give the best performance that they can give. Well, I was very lucky when I was a young uh, director, younger uh, 
director that someone gave me a very good piece of advice, which was, if you ever have an argument with an actor, and believe me, they often you know, occur in the rehearsal room, you've got the script to put between you and the actor, which is, if it comes down to a matter of taste over a certain point, then you have to look at the script and say, what is in the script? And luckily we had the writers too. So if there was any question, any debate, I'm not saying there were any arguments, in fact, on Eileen, there weren't. They, I mean, we got on very, very well. In fact, the reason that both Annie and Thompson came to the project is because they loved the script, they loved the book, and they wanted to play these characters. But all I'm saying that, the reason I'm saying that is because I want to just draw attention to how important the script is as a sort of foundation for all of our work. Um, and having said that, also what's great about Latesh and Luke in this case, and also with other writers I've worked with, is that you know we know that actors have to say this. And the reason that we have employed them is because we trust their instincts. Mm-hmm. That's why we want to work with them, because they're brilliant. And so when they say, I find this very difficult to say, we have to listen to them and say, well, how would you want to say How would your character want to say it? And then we have to adapt, because we can't just say, well, tough. You've got to say it because I've written it. Because you know the mood has to breathe, has to come alive, and so on. Um, and I think Annie and Thomason are so professional that, you know, a lot of the work needed, a lot of the, we talk about the safe space, they, they know how to find that for themselves. They know how they like to work and they are so professional that they come prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I could tell having met them independent of each other that they were going to be great together. I mean, they're so generous as actors. Um, and then if you can get actors to trust you, and I think that's just about letting them know that you're there for them, that your prim- primary job is to help them create these characters and, and bring them to life on screen, then they, then they will actually do anything that you ask them to do because they mm-hmm. trust you. Mm-hmm. And that's really just communication because oftentimes if there is a problem, it can be rooted in fear and it's trying to understand what that fear is based on. You know. What what is the thing that you're afraid to do, and and how can I help you solve it? So, um, we were lucky. We had great. And you know, Shay Wiggum is was amazing. I mean, you know, a, a guy who I've seen so much and love so much now, and, and I've enjoyed working with. And and what he brought to set was such experience. Mm-hmm. You know, that you know, playing Eileen's dad. It was great just to see how he liked to work and to learn from that. Every time I work with a new actor, it's about learning. A new skill, really. And he's fucking funny in this movie. He is so funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's so, and 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 all the the brute the bruteness and meanness. He's still charismatic and still funny. So that's a testament to to him. Yeah. And you know, and making this grimy world feel sexy and smoldering and Thomason bringing that sort of raw youth to it. It's really a perfect storm. So it's just the reason why it's one of my favorite films of the year. You guys did Bravo work. Thank you, Valerie. Thanks. For coming on to the podcast and chatting with me about your process. Um, I hope you guys have a great holiday and a great new year. Everybody that's listening, go out and see Eileen. It's a fun time at the theater. It's it's get in, get out. It's 90 minutes. You don't have to be there all day. And it's completely worth it. Thank you all for coming. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Valerie. Thank you. Take care. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.